Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly movie podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor-in-chief critic, joined not by my usual sparring partner, Ann Thompson, who's on break ahead of Cannes, but I'm very happy to have a stand-in who will be alongside us in the front lines of cinema trying to reboot itself in the south of France next week. David Ehrlich, uh, my partner in crime as, as a critic on the ground. How are you holding up, David, looking ahead to uh, what appears to be an actual Cannes Film Festival after a year of silence? Uh, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, I know the festival is uh, is happening full steam ahead, but it still feels so surreal from reality as we've known it for a while. And uh, there are so many obstacles between now and then uh, us where we are today in New York and uh, the south of France that um, I'm trying not to count my chickens before they hatch, but uh, I am very excited. Yeah, I remember because uh, when, when you went to Cannes for the first time, I, I was so excited to see your reaction to it because everybody's first Cannes is so mind-blowing. No matter what you know or you think you know going into it, like the mythology of it, to be on the ground, to experience so much cinema from around the world and an industry and a, and a, you know, a crowd of people who are like committed to it is really amazing when you live in America where cinema is often not at the forefront of our culture. So right now, especially, it feels like we're in for a really fascinating experience in terms of how, you know, this art form is, is working over time to come back. Yeah, I mean, every festival has that sense of whatever movie is screening is sort of the most important thing that's happening on Earth at that moment. But can the, the sheer volume of that feeling against when you balance it against the kinds of movies that are generating that attraction that that attention is just such a spectacle i mean to see the fervor around let's say like the world premiere of uh you know petrov's flu or like um, right. you know a new nanny moretti movie it's always it always sort of blows your blows your mind yeah, I mean, it's. I remember going to see a Nuri Bilga Ceylon film. It was like two hours and 45 minutes or maybe longer. That would be short for him. And it was like such a physical feat to get into that screening. You know, no matter what you do, you plan ahead. You're dealing with these these crazy crowds and stuff, which turns some people off, understandably, from the outset. But the bottom line is that there's also a lot of enthusiasm for these movies because ultimately, if every country has its own little industry and community of moviegoers and you bring them all into one place, you do end up seeing the scale of that. And that's kind of what keeps this worthwhile. I mean, I don't want to like drool all over can. I mean, there's other, <laughs> there's other festivals out there that are really good. And we got the Locarno and Carlo Vivari lineups this past week, which, which look promising. And we've talked a lot about the fall season, but what I think is really fascinating about can is I don't even know where to begin I mean, with 70, what is it, 75 movies now, something like that, that's not a lot for some festivals, but for a festival that's supposed to be super discerning, it's it's pretty high. I mean, how are you feeling about the, the workload? And stuff? I mean, I think it's easier for the number of movies playing at Cannes to feel overwhelming than it is elsewhere, because Cannes, at least in my experience, puts such a narrow spotlight on 
one film at a time. I mean, that's sort of the nature of the competition. Obviously, there are the sidebar characters, so maybe the sidebar uh, categories, rather. So maybe there is a hubbub around one movie that's playing in that ballet, and then down the street, you know, sandwiched in between the two movies that are in competition that day, there is something else that's garnering attention. But for the most time, it feels like the whole sort of Sauron's eye of the film world is pointed at one movie at a time. And obviously with 70 movies playing or whatever the number is playing at the um, the full scale of the, the festival, that isn't really going to be possible. I think a number of movies, um, the number of movies that may have stood out elsewhere may inevitably be swept under the rug or fall through the cracks. But um, I do think that there's so much pent up excitement that hopefully it'll, we'll be able to spread the wealth a little bit. Yeah. So let, let's talk a bit about things we can talk about because we've been watching movies and we're really appreciative, obviously of the powers that be that set up early screenings because one, I mean, some people can't go. And so setting up early screenings does allow these movies to have a magnified presence but also because there's so much uncertainty about what the experience is going to be like as we're recording. We still don't even have a full schedule. We apparently, even though we are thoroughly vaccinated, need to spit into a Petri dish every two days to prove that we're safe to go into the Palais. So there's going to, there's going to be a lot of craziness on the ground and unpredictability even more than usual. So we don't even know how we're going to navigate all this stuff, but we know that there are films we want to see. Yeah, and that that's the only certainty at this point. So how are you? So, so tell me. So tell me what you're excited to see at this point. Because uh, uh, well, one one movie that as of this recording I genuinely haven't seen and I've been dying to for years on end is Mia Hansen loves Bergman Island, and I was especially excited as much as I would have loved to have seen it earlier at another festival, I was especially excited that it's going to premiere in Cannes and in competition, no less, just because I have long found her to be such a uh, powerful and exciting filmmaker. And this is a real um, shot of validation for her. I mean, she's she's been sort of working up the ranks for a long time with starting uh, even before The Father of My Children, but certainly with that and Goodbye First Love and, and then Eden and the, the future things to come, you know, and so on. And um, Bergman Island, you know, a movie shot on and sort of about uh, Faro Island and about Ingmar Bergman's legacy, obviously feels like catnip for cinephiles and can, but um, that it was deemed worthy of the competition um, is just really exciting for me. Um, yeah. So that's really high on my list. Yeah, I'm excited about a lot of the competition films. I mean, a movie like Annette being opening night and in competition while, you know, the, the new Wes Anderson film is there and, you know, all, all these kind of higher profile movies alongside something like the Mia Hansen Love film, which is sort of maybe more in the middle. And then you have films like Petrov's Flu that you mentioned earlier, a much wider array of stuff that seems like it's going to just completely complicate the narrative each day. And that's yeah. something people don't always get until they start following can coverage is like, there's an arc to it. Like you see a movie in competition, you're like, you better prove yourself competition movie. And then like another day comes along and it's like, oh, well that really upends the narrative. And then, you know, you look at the programming slots and you're like, well, why is that movie later? And this one is earlier. And we don't really know because there's so many movies if it's because of timing issues and someone's not done or yeah. is it because of some other reason. I, I think what you're saying is, is accurate, especially in that, you know, I, I think this year the presumptions that people make about the, like looking at the 
the matrix of the schedule and the conclusion they come to are probably going to be disproven even more sort of embarrassingly than they have been in the past. Um, and as excited as I am to see someone like me, Hanson Love and Competition, it really isn't a slight to see someone like Joanna Hogg in Directors Fortnite or Koganada, um, where, you know, some of my favorite films, standout films from previous cans that I've been have premiered, you know, because the competition as a as a entity is a narrative unto itself. And I really, one of my favorite pieces every year that I encourage everyone listening to this to follow along, Eric, is your uh, da daily updated rankings of the competition film. They give you a rat race sense. Yeah. Of that yeah. feeling of like, you know, everyone is constantly waiting for the next swerve in the road. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's really exciting. And, uh, and the yeah. moment that the Palme d'Or ceremony happens, it's totally irrelevant because it can be so wrong, right? They, they, th those decisions happen like moments before they're announced pretty much. And there may be some jurors who, you know, get a little drunk at a party and tell somebody what they really like or didn't like. And then that gets around and we hear about it and that forms some rumor but it doesn't really mean anything until they actually get get down to brass tacks. And over the years, you hear, hear rumors about. I mean, this stuff can get intense. We have Spike Lee as the president of a jury that is incredibly international and sophisticated in terms of its film knowledge. I mean, it, it's really remarkable. From Tahar Rahim to Cleber uh, Mendoza Filho. I mean, it's like it's such a fascinating range and so unpredictable. And whatever you think you know about people based on like the, their work is often wrong because somebody who makes really experimental stuff might like something really populist or the other way around. So oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's not really until you start hearing those reports about who actually was invited back to the award ceremony at the end that ever you realize that, yeah. um, you know, the fantasy you've been living in as to what is worthy of these awards kind of goes yeah. out the window. Um, I think I but, said rat race before, but really it's more like a, it's like um, it's like a betting race. I mean, people yeah. actually do bet money on this stuff <laughs> and it's a crazy thing to bet money on. It's not like the Oscars. Like there no. isn't any science. There are no precursors there. whatsoever. You know, it's but, no, I was just going to say, I love the uh, the jury press conference at the end where you hear from jurors about how much they're willing to share. Like when it turned out that Will Smith really liked that um, that Cornell Mondrusco film that nobody else really seemed to like Jupiter. What was it Jupiter, called? Not Jupiter Ascending. All that's yeah. Jupiter's moon, I think. Jupiter's moon. Yeah. So that it was like that sort of thing where it was like, okay, Will Smith had a can experience, you know, on a jury with Pedro <laughs> Almodovar and stuff. So, I mean, I just love that sort of synthesis. There, there isn't like a, a movie star of that magnitude. I mean, Maggie Gyllenhaal is somebody who I think is very, you know, knowledgeable about international cinema. I'm super curious to know. I don't know. Song Kang Ho, especially after That's Parasite. True. He's a big um, deal. You know, I mean, look, it's a great deal. jury. Uh, yeah, it should be exciting. I mean, I think you're talking about that press conference at the end. I yeah. can only hope that Spike Lee is as forthcoming as he is, you know, in every other arena of his life there and really dishes the dirt on, uh, on what he thought about things. But it is such a wide, just looking at the competition lineup, it's such a wide swath. You have past winners like Apichat Bong wears a tackle. It was his first movie since Uncle Boon Me with Memoria. Um, yeah. There are someone like, uh, you know, there's Satan. There is Sean Baker's in the competition up from directors Fortnite where uh, Red Florida Rocket Project premiered. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, and then on the smaller end, uh, a movie I'm really excited to see is the Ryosuke Hamaguchi film, uh, Drive My Car, which, uh, you know, is his second film of this year already after Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, which did very well for itself at Berlin. And the last time that a um, Haruki Murakami adaptation played at Cannes, it was Burning and did mm. not 
not win uh, a jury prize, but uh, I think everyone remembers it fondly. So that's also super exciting. Yeah, it did play really well, and it, and it it helped Stephen Young, a new Academy member of as of this week, uh, Stephen Young, sort of elevate his profile in a way which set him up for the next phase of his career. So that there was some good that came out of that, irrespective of all of these things. Yeah. So. Although I think if if like gun to my head, if I had to pick one movie that I'm most curious about at this point, it would probably be a Nadav Lapid's Ahed's Knee, uh, just because Synonyms was such a mind blower. All three of his films, The Kindergarten Teacher. Yeah, he's an amazing director. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, and Maggie yeah. Gyllenhaal, the star and I think producer of the American remake of The Kindergarten <laughs> Teacher is an interesting crossover. But Compromise. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, everybody's the- compromised. I mean, Sean Sean Penn it's, has worked with people on this jury. I mean, it's who knows how that, those conversations oh, go. Yeah, it's, it's just, just some just fun connections. Yeah, just fun connections yeah. to draw. I'm not even saying that they're they're biased towards them, but uh, yeah. you know, I or think yeah. And we were talking off mic before we started recording about how that is one of a number of films from Israeli filmmakers this year, and obviously yeah. we're in such a particularly intense historical moment and Nadav Lapid is you know no filmmaker uh, certainly no Israeli filmmaker has wrestled more with uh, Israeli identity um, particularly regards to masculinity and militarism and you have Ari Fullman's Where's Anne Frank that sort of addresses uh, not about Israel so much but uh, addresses Jewish identity I mean all these things are, yeah. are going to feed into it in a really interesting way. The Jews are coming to Cannes. A lot of countries are coming to Cannes. It feel it feels like it feels like there are going to be so many fascinating takes because there's the more the more of the lineup you see, the more you're just absorbing a, a sophisticated window into what cinema is right now. And that's not to say it's a complete vision, but it is it is one particular vision and from probably the strongest brand festival brand in the world. I mean, there are, there are arguments against going to Cannes if you get say, you know, uncertain regard or competition in Locarno or whatever, but most people would rather go to Cannes anyway. So that's, that's sort of what, why I think the argument is very strong that when you look at this lineup, you know, there's, there's just going to be a lot of reasons to pay attention to the films that, that do end up being there, including stuff that are, it's like a total mystery. I mean, I, I'm excited for everything we've, we've talked about as well as a lot of the directors, Fortnite films and some of the first time directors, but the fact that, Gaspar Noé shot a movie during the pandemic is probably the most exciting kind of can specific event movie you can think of. This movie Vortex starring Ar- Dario Argento of all people, because somehow Gaspar Noé movies at Cannes always end up having this really amazing kind of life cycle, even if it's like they don't go over well. I mean, like Love started like two hours late at, at 2 a.m. or something like that in the Palais and like the movie was okay, but the experience was so wild that it kind of brought something else to it. Lux Eterna, I thought, was like going to a rock concert on, you know, some crazy drugs that haven't been invented yet. Uh, and then it never came out. And, right, I was going to uh, say, I still associate that movie just with that can screening that I didn't go to, yeah. but just heard about secondhand. It sounded it like just it exists just, there. It's like, yeah. you know, epileptic fit for 45 minutes. Well, but that raises an, uh, another important point, right? Like if a movie plays at a film festival and then the rest of the world never gets a chance to see it. Does it really exist? You well, know, I mean, we, we're going to talk about <laughs> all this stuff, but we don't really know what the ripple effect is going to be in the long term. Yeah. I mean, there are, I mean, sometimes those are the most uh, interesting festival experiences. I still 
remember um, uh, Mechtube, My Love, Intermezzo, all four, you know, butt-shaking oh hours of it from from a, whatever can it was. I think it was 2019. Um, yeah. And that movie has not seen the light of day, as far as I can tell, in any country. <laughs> so, you know, the fact that that you were there for its one and only screening is uh, is an experience that makes going to a festival, making that trek, all the more worthwhile, even if the uh, film itself is kind of, you know, <laughs> is yeah. what it is. But, you know, the the, fe- the festival world also can be really valuable for, at, right, at this particular moment, for bringing films into the conversation that would otherwise just sort of get forgotten in the first place. I mean, this year in particular, it's going to be fascinating to see uh, how people who are looking to kind of make a big impact choose to make their moves. I mean, I'm, I'm very curious about some of the U.S. distributors that are there. Neon has tons of movies. Titan, which you mentioned. I mean, if anyone's seen the trailer for that, you know how wild that looks. If you haven't seen the trailer for that, I usually am not a big fan of watching trailers before you see the movie, but this thing is like just so mind-bogglingly wild. It's worth checking out. A24's got, got the Sean Baker movie as well as stuff like souvenir two and and just the 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 range in in that in that particular co- comparison is, is fascinating from you know the the kind of what i assume is sort of a naturalistic story of a of a fading porn star to uh you know the second part in this like beautifully uh uh textured portrait of a of a, of a young filmmaker coming of age and souvenir the first part never came out in France. So in Directors Fortnite, they're showing both parts. And I think that's really fantastic because it's using Cannes as a platform to kind of give this complete, now complete work, the sort of identity that it never really got in the first place. So Yeah, I mean, the the, the Cannes brand that you were sort of referring to by name earlier is so strong, lest we forget that they put the, they put the laurels on films last year that would never have the opportunity to actually play in a real festival because it was... Uh, the festival was canceled, but they still, you know, minted those films as being can approved because that's how far it takes them. And I remember, uh, you know, seeing and reviewing a handful of them um, because they were brought to our attention as a result of that. And we're all strong. I'm thinking of films like Slalom or uh, Nadia Butterfly, which is a fascinating movie, which is actually going to sneak onto movie in July, right when the yeah. festival is starting. So, um, you know, the can brand, they don't even need the the event itself to actually take place in order uh, for that stamp of approval to work its magic. Last thing we should talk about is the kind of weirdness of living in two worlds when you become a film festival type of person, when you're oriented towards looking at this huge crop of movies, but are also aware that there are so many other kinds of films that come out that are not quote unquote festival films that just don't circulate there. You in particular have had to live in both worlds because you're pre-screening all these can movies and you also have to review like Fear Street yeah. and F9 is going to play can on the beach, but it, you know, <laughs> Black Widow is going to, is opening it. Like there's this whole other kind of world of especially American movies that are so far removed from the can conversation. And I'm curious to know how you feel about sort of trying to process those two things at the same time. I think it's helpful to remember that whatever it is you're watching, you're watching through a pinhole. And there is always just this greater constellation of stars and and space that's happening. 
beyond you. And I think being at Cannes and seeing the confluence of people, I mean, obviously, you know, Cannes has had issues of representation, representing not just, uh, you know, the types of filmmakers, but the countries around the world and cultures, yeah. but it's still such a confluence of, of people and, and broadens your, you're looking at the market, which may not be in action this year, but in previous years, just remind you how many, how, how many shapes and, and flavors this industry takes on. Um, you know, it, it's helpful. It's helpful to go from one of the movies we've discussed uh, screening, you know, yesterday morning and immediately having to go and sit in a Starbucks and write about the tomorrow war, you know, like it's, it's helpful to have that, that sense of one is a movie and the other thing is also a movie. And right. um, they are both sort of commodities in their own way and yeah. have their own life spans, but um, they exist in the same shared universe maybe not in the same way that the souvenir and the souvenir part two do but in the way that we all do and uh yeah um it, it, it it's always helpful to keep that perspective even if it can make you feel like you're um you know i was gonna say your brain is split down the middle but i guess biologically that's already the case <laughs> you know what i mean um yeah it's i mean and that's the fun of a film festival is, yeah is being in one little snow globe of a movie and then sprinting across the street right when the lights go down and suddenly having to reorient yourself to an entirely different experience and so uh after the last 18 months, however long it's been, I, the idea of orienting myself into a different experience sounds lovely. So, yeah, um, I, I, it's it's fascinating, too, because, you know, I was thinking about like I saw Black Widow. I thought it was pretty good for what it, for what it is. And I think that with people actually go see it in, in movie theaters, they'll have a fine time. But that category of experience when you're totally absorbed in the process of looking at, at movies from all over the world feels so minor to me in the grand scheme of things like those the black widow type of event movies will always have some kind of role to play in our culture and maybe they'll just all become tv shows or or they'll become interactive roller coaster xr experiences that happen to have the mcu logo at the start of them or who knows what direction that's heading but what we're talking about is like free willing creative people telling stories or just like making stuff largely on their own terms and then somebody else like finding a space to show it and and that just feels to me like that's so much more important culturally because from a historical standpoint we're always going to need that because we're always going to have creative people just like making stuff and it, somebody's got to figure out a way to showcase it and so. i think this you know after there are a lot of conversations that we don't need to wander into as far as you know the value of streaming versus theatrical and so on but going you know, going to a, a premiere at Cannes and, and seeing the reverent standing reaction that the filmmakers get before the film starts, when everyone, you know, sort of pro forma stands up and you really feel like you are in this holy, sacred space for cinema, it is, for, for sickos like us, it is going to be restorative, I think, just to remember that the integrity of the, and, and the ceremony of the film-going experience that even the good movies we've seen over the last 18 months have been deprived of so yeah, you've inspired me i need i need to play something for you right quick that i just pulled up oh boy yeah Raul. and you know what i'm looking at that no, slow I, crawl up the 3d I, I staircase those, i see those stairs in my dreams <laughs> They have not, in the 15, 14 times I've been to Cannes, 
They have never changed this thing. It is not officially online. I don't think anywhere, but th- there's always people like bootlegging it in the theater. Like it's so exciting <laughs> to see the 3D can crawl when Carnival of the Animals plays that everybody needs their own, their own like pirated version of it. But yeah, uh, there, okay. there's something to be said for, for tradition. You know, I love, I love going to Toronto every year and seeing the new bumpers because some of them are just, are so much fun, but I also love that at Berlin and Cannes, you know, it's it's like kind of like a Madeline, you know, it's like you always know you're going to get it. It takes you right back to, uh, to, I don't know, where you're supposed to be. Um, Cannes is ritual, man. Yeah. Forget about the it's Jewish it. films this year. We have a religion. That's sort of the way it breaks down. <laughs> yeah, I should stop calling it a church and start calling it a temple. <laughs> yeah, I know, right. <laughs> do, do, do your people proud. Yeah. So I'll see you there with yeah. your new chucks, right? Uh, yeah, my my one hundred and fifty dollars that I have still yet to take out of the box, but just needs to fit on my body. Give it a give it a try on tonight, um, and uh, yeah, they don't care how high quality the tux is as long as it fits the basic you know dictionary definition. Yeah, of you just gotta look like a penguin sweating in the heat, basically. <laughs> yeah. As Thierry Fromo said, "So hot, but so good." So hot, so, so hot, but so good. That should be we'll their uh, their motto this year. Well, safe travels, David. I'll see you in the south of France. Looking forward to it. Thanks for being here. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.